Hey everyone, welcome to the A to Z of sex, or the A to Z of sex if you're in North America. I'm Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I'm a psychologist, sex and intimacy coach, and a gender, sex, and relationship diversity therapist. And I am working my way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. I created this podcast to help you learn to express your desires, learn more about desires, spice up your relationships, and create those sizzling relationships that you have always wanted. I do this through solid science, real-life stories, and conversations with an exciting array of experts. Listen in weekly as I share key strategies that will help you choose the relationship style that works best for you and create exactly what you want and need. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes and you can take advantage of the subscriber bonuses. And if you want to know more, head over to DrLaurieBethBisbee.com and sign up for my email list so that you can find out exactly what is going on in my world from week to week. But for now, come join me and enter my world of sex and relationships. See you inside. Hey everyone, welcome to the A to Z of sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I'm a psychologist, sex and intimacy coach, accredited advanced gender, sex and relationship diversity therapist. And I've spent the last 30 plus years working with people to help them create and maintain amazing relationships containing sixling sex and without shame. We are working our way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. And as I said uh, last week um, when recording um, Zed, um, my life is crazy over the next couple of months. Uh, It started in September and it probably won't end till the middle of November. And so for the time being, I'm going to intersperse question and answer um, podcasts in with uh, ones where I interview people because right now I don't have a lot of um, time to coordinate my schedule with other folks so that I can get um, a bunch of interviews. So uh, this week we're starting the alphabet again. We're roundabout at A and I didn't want to repeat an old podcast um, because that's happened more than I like. So here we are at A um, and A is going to be for all the answers. And um, I'm it's still working my way through a list of questions that people have asked me over uh, the last... Um, sort of six to eight months and um, trying to make sure that I answer every single question. Um, And so here we go. So let's start with um, what is hardballing? So I've recently been asked, what is hardballing? Well, hardballing is a dating style. Um, The it became popular. The name came from from um, the head of relationship science at Hinge. Now I did put that in quotes. Um, it is actually advice that I have been giving people for many, many, many years. Hardballing is making sure that you take your time 
and that you prior that you tell people exactly what it is you need and want at the beginning of a relationship so that um, when you meet somebody and you get together and your partner choosing, you are actually going to um, make a choice based on the things that are most important to you. And they're going to know who you are and you're going to know who they are from the get-go. Now, I um, used to talk about this as being authentic and that you want to start as you mean to go on. So instead of playing a lot of the um, flirtation games, yes, it's important to flirt, but instead of playing a lot of the games that people will play, where they won't, in fact, um, really be clear about who they are um, until later on, you're right up front with your wants, your needs, your desires, the things that are important to you, and you make sure that you are not getting involved until you're clear that the person that you are um, thinking about dating is actually um, really coming from a similar place, right? That's that's what you want. You want them to be coming from a similar place. So that's hardballing. And that's where we started because that was one of the questions that I've been asked recently. Um, next one. Please explain drop and how to deal with it. Drop is a phenomenon that happens anytime we have a peak experience. So it doesn't just have to be a peak sexual experience. It doesn't just have to be you go away for an event or you go um, to an incredible evening um, and um, you're on a real high and then you get home and you come back to earth, which will... And, and and drop, it really is, it does as it says on the tin, you feel like you are dropping from a great height because you are. Um, but this can happen... Um, it, if you, you know, go away on a retreat, it can happen if you go do um, a physical contest, for example. Um, it can happen um, if you've gone away and filmed for three weeks and you've been in a bubble and so everybody's working together and everything is focused on what's going on and then, you know, you go back home. It's any time that you have a peak experience, an extended peak experience especially, you may be liable to drop. What's drop? Well, actually, drop is when the chemicals that keep you floating and energized through those intense experiences leave your body. So that includes things like adrenaline and um, high amounts of dopamine and um, lots of um, endorphins and um, some norepinephrine and all of these things and cortisone, all of these chemicals that are feel-good chemicals, but are also the things that make it possible for you to do these intense things, these things that are um, somewhat edgy, that are in your system. And the more intense the situation is, the higher you'll be with all of that, and then the deeper the drop. Because as these chemicals leave your body, naturally, you will feel low. Because you've gone from the things that keep you up, 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 boom, low, because you run out of energy <laughs> and the high goes. And so you can actually find yourself feeling quite miserable. And that's what we refer to as drop. 
Um, for some people, drop is really a, just a lack of energy. They're just exhausted. They just want to crawl into bed. Um, they want to eat foods that are comfort foods. They don't really want to talk to anybody. And if you leave them alone for a few days, they'll be absolutely fine. For other people, um, it's got much more of a depressive emotion to it. Um, people can feel quite grief-stricken and bereft. Um, and actually really need contact with other people or otherwise they won't be fine. Uh, it's really worth preparing in advance for drop. Now, if you've never experienced drop before or you don't remember what it was like because you haven't really been able to connect what I'm saying with some other incident in your life where you might have experienced something like this, then you may not know how you're going to react. So it's a good idea to plan to be able to see some friends, to make some contact with people shortly after your return, to talk on the phone, to have a Zoom, whatever it is. It's a good plan to be set up to be doing that shortly after your return. Um, if, um, or, or shortly after the end of the event, whichever it is. Um, you can plan to do these things. And then if it turns out that you're one of those people who actually get through drop by isolating, by going to bed, by having a hot bath, eating nice foods, and really don't want to talk to anyone, then you can explain to people, send them a text and say, I'm really sorry, I'm not up to it yet. And then just postpone it um, until you've come out of it. But if you are really one of those people who actually really needs contact, really needs it badly, then at least you will have set up something for yourself. Now, sometimes in the world of BDSM, um, where we talk about drop a lot after an intense scene, sometimes people set things up so that they talk to the person that they were having the scene with. So um, because both uh, tops and bottoms, both dominants and submissives um, experience drop, so um, it can be good to make contact with the people you were having the experience with. And sometimes that's actually... This actually generalizes to other situations that the people you actually want to connect with aren't just your friends and family at home who have no idea what you've just been through, who haven't been through the ride with you, but you actually want to talk to people who were there with you, who understand if you say, oh, remember when this happened, who understand uh, any references you might make, who understand the intensity of what was experienced. So if that's the case, then it's really useful to contact to be to set up so you can contact one or more people who are involved um, just so that you can touch base. Sometimes it makes you feel better. Um, sometimes when it's about a scene, it can serve as a really important part of aftercare for some people. So make sure you're organizing this in advance. Um, and it just give yourself a chance to reintegrate back into ordinary daily life. And that's the important bit. It's giving yourself that reintegration time. So it's really a bad idea to come from any situation that produces that level of intensity and high um, directly back into your normal workday life the following day. Now, I'll put my hand up and say that I have made that mistake on more than one occasion. Um, when you work for yourself, you're running your own business, um, and you've been away from your business, you are concerned that um, there are consequences to being away from your business, that you're behind in things that you need to do. Um, and so definitely, it's one of those situations where you may well feel like, oh my God, I'm just going to schedule work for the day after I get back. And I have done that on more than one occasion and on more than one occasion regretted it. Um, 
sometimes I've had to go to sleep for a week. It depends on what the um, experience was, the level of intensity, and it also depends on on what, what's going on in my body. Now, I am somebody who has autoimmune disease. So uh, fatigue is a constant companion and running out of energy is not unusual. So I find it important to be really clear with myself and be really aware of what is going on with me. And I tend to leave myself extra time than maybe some other people might, even though um, from a business point of view, that's not necessarily the best thing. Um, And that's because I may not physically be able to just jump back into life. But I do advise people to give themselves at least 24 hours to um, settle back to base. Um, and and be ready to go into your normal, ordinary daily life. So that is DROP. Um, And again, I'm going to remind you that DROP is not just associated with BDSM, with um, intense SM experiences, with um, BDSM or sex events. It's also associated with, um, you know, spiritual events, with um, retreats, things like Burning Man, for example, Um, and 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 experiences where there's a group of you going through an intense, hard experience together. So if you're working hard at something, so I said like filming, that may be something that will also produce drop because it's a, a very hard pace and it's very intense. Okay. Next question. Where is the line between admiring somebody's differences and fetishizing. Now, this is a really interesting question um, because fetishizing other people is really not on, and it happens a lot. And people tend to fetishize people because of their difference. So, um, for example, um, black men and women get fetishized quite a lot um, in a variety of um sexual communities, um, in the swingers community, in the BDSM community, um, there can be quite a lot of fetishizing. Um, it's complicated by the fact that some people, uh, really buy into the fetishizing. So for example, there, um, is a whole group of people focused on BBCs, um, which stands for Big Black Cock, if you didn't know. And the men who take part in this group or community are identifying in this way and and, and, and are enjoying the fetish, fetishization. But it's still fetishization. And the reason that it's fetishization is because... Um, when you admire something, when you're attracted to something because it's different and you admire it, you still see a whole person. You don't just see that characteristic. But fetishizing is when somebody focuses on that characteristic in, an, in a really objectifying way. And um, it's confusing to use the word fetish because the actual definition of a fetish is any object that um, a person is attracted to and requires in order to reach orgasm. So to be a true fetish, you have to require whatever the object is. Um, And in fetishizing, we're really not 
talking about require in order to reach orgasm. What we are talking about, though, is objectifying people or objectifying a characteristic of people, which which then turns into objectifying the person. And so um, the line can be quite thin. What I ask people to ask themselves if they're saying, well, it's really just a preference of mine, is to ask themselves whether... Um, they see the whole person. And if, if, I, if you can't tell me what it is that you love about that person apart from whatever you're fetishizing, so let's use skin tone because it's the thing that is probably one of the most common things that gets fetishized. So if you can't tell me any other thing that you're attracted to other than the color of their skin... then I would consider that fetishizing. Fetishizing also comes with its own um, assumptions being made about the person based on um, the things that you're fetishizing. So, um, for example, when it comes to Black people, um, so there's assumption of, of intense sexuality, there's assumption of high libido. There's an assumption with men of, of large penises. So you can see it goes beyond just the, uh, the objectifying in terms of the skin tone, but also this whole um, heap of characteristics that are put onto the person um, that further objectify them. And um, while objectification is something that some people enjoy, this is not something that is consensual and therefore it's not okay. So I just ask people to be careful and look at um, really what is drawing them when they say that this is something that they admire or um, they're attracted to a particular characteristic. And there's nothing wrong with being attracted to the characteristics. Like there's nothing wrong with being attracted to people who have red hair. There's nothing wrong with being attracted to freckles. There's nothing wrong with being attracted to brown skin. But there's a person behind that. And so if you don't get past the skin and thinking about that, and if everything is sexualized, then you are likely fetishizing. So that's really the line. And I think it's um, it's not an easy one. Um, and it happens in all sorts of groups. I used um, black men and black women because it's a commonly well-known one, but that doesn't mean that other people don't get fetishized. Um, it, you know, people can also fetishize one characteristic rather than the whole person. Curly hair is something that can get fetishized. I certainly know about that. I certainly know that there are plenty of people who will forget all about consent when confronted with my hair. Um, and um, while uh, it, the admiration is flattering, um, having people touch me without consent is not. So these are the kinds of things you need to be thinking about in order to draw that line between a characteristic you really admire or you're really interested in or it really attracts you uh, versus um, something that you're fetishizing where you stop seeing the individual that has that characteristic. 
um, and you stop caring about their feelings and about their consent. I hope that helped. Okay. Um, next question. Um, I've been asked about whether I think power PDA is acceptable. Um, so power PDA is a term that developed from responses to people being finally back in public and not having to date over Zoom, um, that many people have become much more, uh, had much larger public displays of affection. That's what PDA is. Um, and they become much more affectionate in public. They, they um, uh, and it's become much more sexual. So people are grabbing each other's asses and they're kissing more deeply and things like this. So I was asked what I thought about this. Um, and, um, I like to highlight this as a really difficult set of behaviors because um, because it's something that you do in public by definition and you don't have, you're not getting consent of the people who are the public, who are you just, who you are displaying this affection in front of, right? They're, you're not going around and asking everybody in the environment, do you mind if I kiss all over my partner? Do you mind if I'm grabbing their ass? Do you mind if I'm pinching their cheeks? Is that okay with you? Um, and because public display of affection is often thought of as heteronormative, um, people don't think tend to think about consent, um, which is really not acceptable. Uh, certainly, um, issues every year get raised about pride parades and the things that happen at pride parades. Um, and people raise issues about gay people walking down the street holding hands, gay people kissing, you know. So um, there are all sorts of issues around pride parades, but pride parades are defined events. And a pride parade is something where uh, if I don't want to see something, then I don't have to go to the parade. I can avoid the area during the parade if if I don't want to see things like that, if I don't want to see public displays of affection between um, non-heterosexual people, then I can avoid the area. Um, but when you're engaging in power PDA, you're just doing that wherever you happen to be. So nobody can avoid seeing that if they happen to be in your area. Um, and therefore, it's actually a real problem. From a consent point of view, it's a real problem because it's not possible for you to get the consent of the people around you. Um, and so you are potentially really upsetting people, often annoying people by doing these things when it's not something that they're interested in seeing. So really, I think power PDA is probably not a great trend Um I think public displays of affection, whilst whilst I am totally comfortable displaying affection in public, I'm also very aware that my public display of affection may negatively impact somebody else. So I don't tend to display tons of affection in public. And I think we all need to think that way. We all need to remember that there are people who have different ideas of what's acceptable around us. And unless we can get consent when we're out in public, we need to be careful about what we do. And I, and I'm, and I think about this as a queer person, but I do think it's important to remind heterosexuals that they need to consider this too, because um, there are lots of people who are not heteronormative, who don't like to see heteronormative public displays of affection. And that's, 
their right to not like to see it. So really, we ought to all be thinking about how blatant is this and uh, do we need the consent of other people around us? You know, holding hands, yeah, that shouldn't be an issue. And if people don't like it, well, that's their problem. But um, I think, you know, you know, French kissing and fondling, yeah, you know, I think people can decide that they don't really want to see that um, when they go to a restaurant, for example. I hope that answered that question. Um, okay, next one. What is NRE, new relationship energy, and how does that compare to ERE, existing relationship energy? Okay, great question. NRE, new relationship energy, is the energy that we get when we first start a relationship with somebody. It's what it says on the tin. Um, when we first meet somebody and we're getting to know them and we're into them, um, there are all sorts of chemicals that run around our bodies. Um, that's part of the bonding process. It's part, it's part of nature's way of getting us to um, continue the human species. Um, so all sorts of hormones um, are released and um, we feel really intense and we feel really high and um, we may feel um, incredibly sexually aroused. And um, all of this, these chemicals in our bodies last between six months and two years, depending on how long you, you're involved with somebody and, and how often you see them and, and how often you get to get to know them. They wear off um, when, you know, the newness wears off, when you are no longer discovering things about the person every day. They're part of the period when we have lots of mystery with a partner because we don't know them well enough yet and we're just learning about them. Um, that energy is contagious. It's wonderful. And um, when it goes, um, people can experience a crash. They can experience drop like we were talking about earlier. Um, they can be quite upset because their relationship changes. And sometimes people say, well, I've fallen out of love, which I think is quite sad because really all it is is the chemicals wearing off. Um, and uh, other times, you know, people feel like they're not as attracted to their partner anymore again, which is also quite sad. Um, usually, if you're able to stick with things, it will turn into an existing relationship energy. And this is a much more um, of a slow burn. There's still a lot of attraction. There's still um, lots of lovely sexual energy. There is a deeper closeness. There's an intense emotional closeness um, and and energy that goes with that and something wonderful about um, uh, having sex or making love with somebody that you know really well when you know what to do to please them, when you know how you can bring out the best in them, where you know how far you can push them to the edge of orgasm. All of these things um, come with existing relationship energy. There's a safety and a security that comes with that as well because you, you're very strongly and securely bonded. So it is definitely a different kind of energy. Um, where this becomes, this contrast becomes a bigger difference and difficulty. In monogamous re relationships, it really is just a matter of adjusting to 
the ending of one phase and the, and and living with the the next phase, which is wonderful in its own way. So the ending of new relationship energy and living with and and working with existing relationship energy, which again, as I said, is its own phase. And there are ways of spicing things up to make sure that that there's enough spice in that existing relationship energy that things don't become routine. Um, that's with monogamy. With non-monogamy, it's a bit more complicated. With non-monogamy, one of the issues that frequently arises um, in relation to this is when somebody meets a new partner, they're established in one relationship. So now they've got existing relationship energy with a partner that they've been with for a long time. And now they meet somebody new and um, they experience new relationship energy again. And new relationship energy spills out all over your life, right? You're, you know... You're excited, you're anxious, um, you know, you might be feeling much more sexual, you might um, have a lot more energy, you might be scared, and you might be up and down and up and down, but there's loads of energy and that is going to spill out into the rest of your life, it usually does. But now it's spilling out into your life with a partner who's been there. And um, sometimes that can cause problems in the existing relationship. Um, it depends on the way your partner processes things like this as to how to deal with this. Some people bring new relationship energy home and that means that they end up having more sex with their partner, um, and, uh, more creative sex with their, their existing partner and there isn't an issue. Um, but other times, um, it's a problem and it's a problem because the person who's experiencing the new relationship isn't aware of how often they're talking about this other person, how excited they are, and how little attention they're paying to their existing partner. So the thing that's important in the way to resolve this issue is to make sure that you clearly um, and carefully look at how much time you're spending with your existing partner, making sure that not only you're spending time with them, but you're spending special time with them, that you're setting aside date night time with them, that you are um, making sure to do enjoyable things with them, romantic things with them, sexual things with them, watching how often you talk about how amazing and wonderful this other person is. Um, it's a good idea to pay attention to your communication so um, most people in existing relationships really despise their partner being at dinner with them and texting the other person. So finding ways to set aside time to be in contact with the other person instead of a constant back and forth, which is what people often want to do um, during um, a new relationship because they're so exciting and so edgy and all you want to do is, is think about that and talk to the person and see the person is to actually remember that there is somebody else here and that um, their feelings are important too and that you want to keep that relationship alive. You don't want that relationship to end because um, you have not been paying attention to it or your partner feels like they've been thrown over for the new person and that, you know, you only come back when the new people are gone. Um you don't want to be ignoring your partner. So it's really important to look at the way in which you manage that and to have a really frank and honest conversation with your partner about how they feel about the new relationship energy and what you can do to remind them how much you love them, how interested in them you still are, and how much you want your relationship with them to be amazing. Um, so that is really important. It's also important to talk to the new partner and tell them what is necessary in order 
to keep your existing relationship going. Um, and hopefully they show some respect for that. If they don't, that is actually a problematic new relationship. And I would be advising you to take a look at it before you decided what you were going to do going forward. Okay, I hope that answers that question well. Okay. Um, let's see. Does abstinence-only education work better than full sex education? Well, I'm actually going to try and do a full show on this um, and get some people who have some expertise um, in abstinence-only education to talk um, about that side of it. What I will say is that the research that I've seen suggests that it absolutely does not, that people have sex anyway um, and that they that they don't have the information that they need in order to protect themselves from diseases so that there's a higher disease rate and they don't have the information they need to protect themselves from pregnancy so there's a higher pregnancy rate um, and that none of this is what you want. Obviously, it's not what, what absence education is trying to promote. Um, it suggests that having full and frank discussions and clear sex education and detailed sex education and particularly sex education that includes pleasure because most sex education doesn't include the idea of pleasure. Most sex education focuses around prevention of disease, prevention of pregnancy. And, um, and these days now they've added in consent. So prevention of uh, rape and assault, but it doesn't talk about why people want to have sex, why young people want to have sex, which is that sexual activity is pleasurable. It doesn't talk about masturbation, so it's not giving people an option that doesn't involve a partner. Um, and this is like regular sex education. This isn't even abstinence only, where, where you're being told to be abstinent, right? This is even even that. This is just regular sexual sexual education. But the evidence is is that if you have sexual education that includes things like masturbation, um, detailed things about consent, things about pleasure, um, which includes the anatomy of pleasure, the anatomy of pleasure for bodies that have um, clitorises, and the anatomy of pleasure for bodies that have penises, um, so that people understand the anatomy of pleasure and that they know what they can do to pleasure themselves. Um, they know what the risks are for deciding to have a sexual relationship young. So we talk about the emotional aspect of um, sexual interactions with other people, as well as um, um, the physical risks. And also, you know, we do, there is a place for talking about different religious beliefs as to what is okay sexually uh, prior to um, uh, a long-term committed relationship like marriage, well, as long as you're going to talk about all sorts of different um, 
religious and spiritual beliefs. Um, in most schools, that isn't possible, so you leave that to religious and spiritual leaders and parents, but that actually the sex education should be detailed and should talk about pleasure. It should talk about relationships and managing the emotions in relationships. It should talk about um, consent, and it should talk about then all the physical things that we talked about before that it usually does talk about, which is the prevention of disease and the prevention of pregnancy. Um, and the evidence is when people have sex education that covers all of those things, they're actually less likely to have sex younger. They're more likely to wait until they feel like they're ready and until they feel like they've met a person that they actually would like to spend significant time with. So they're much less likely to be casual, um, which is the opposite of what the people who argue for abstinence only think happens if you've got good sex education. But that's what the evidence says, is that when you have the information, then you're more likely to make a better choice. Um, and that most young people will make the choice to start a little bit later rather than starting sooner because they have an idea of actually the seriousness of having sexual interactions with other humans. And they also know what the other options are. But I will um, do a full show on this. I am trying to get the right people. I just haven't managed to coordinate schedules enough yet in order to do that. So look out for that. Um, that will be either later this season or the beginning of next season. It might be A when we come around next time. So that means you've got 26 weeks to wait if it doesn't come around till A. All right. Um, let's see what the next one is. So we went through abstinence only. What is the next question? I'm sorry you're getting me blathering while I try and figure this out. What is roaching? Okay. Well, roaching is a dating term that um, I first saw in 2021 that refers to people who are um, in the early stages of relationship with someone and dating other people and don't tell them that they're sleeping with other people. Um, so basic, basically, it's unethical non-monogamy, except that it's an interesting one to me because... Um, Dating means usually that you're seeing other people. So it isn't at the point of exclusivity. Um, but in this case, a person is deliberately hiding what they're doing with other people, which is not okay. Um, and so that is very much unethical. Um, that's not a great, good way to start off a relationship, not a great way to start off a relationship. Um, that is the sin of omission. Um, and it is much better if you actually are very clear um, and don't omit information. When you omit information, you make it impossible for somebody to make a well-educated choice and decision. And usually you're doing that for selfish reasons because you believe that if you tell, excuse me, you tell them you won't get what it is that you want. Um, but um, relationships work because we try and get as many for each other's needs met as possible. And you can only do that when you're being open and honest. 
Again, I think I've talked about this before. I know I've talked about this before. Some of this comes from a place of looking at lack in the world um, and believing that, you know, there's only one right person for you or um, if you pass up on a relationship with person A, you may never get the chance again. Um, whereas if you actually look at things from a place of abundance, you know that there are lots of right people out there, um, that there are lots of opportunities you will have if you keep your eyes open. There are lots of opportunities you will have um, to create really excellent relationships. And so there is no point in actually deciding to um, enter a relationship or stay in a relationship with somebody who really um, doesn't align with you. Uh, they don't align with your values, your way of life, or, um, and um, you don't um, match well uh, in terms of your needs, wants, and desires. So um, people will sort of stay in those situations and look for opportunities to try and change other people to try and um, see if they can talk someone into something or uh, work out a compromise around something in situations where it's probably best that they just don't pursue it and they spend some time looking for a relationship that will work better for them. And it isn't a personal thing. It's not an insult. It's just simply you guys aren't compatible. If you're not compatible, let it go and move on. You know, there are lots of possibilities out there, but you have to be willing to see them. You have to be willing to entertain them. And you have to be really clear about what you want and you need. And if you're not clear about that, then um, you will not find what you want and need. Um, and you're more likely to uh, settle for something less because you're afraid that you will not get your needs met or you're afraid that you'll be alone. It's a really bad idea to have a relationship with somebody out of the fear of being alone. And yet people do it all the time, particularly people who get to a certain age where they're not partnered or if they've gotten divorced and now they're at a certain age and they're not repartnered. They um, fear ending up on their own and therefore um, they will settle for situations that really don't work for them. And so they end up in a long-term relationship feeling miserable and, and that's not helpful to anybody. So um, yeah, uh, roaching is unethical and um, I'm encouraging people to be upfront, straightforward and honest with partners from moment one. Now, some people have asked about this and said, you know, how much do you tell people? I think you tell people the important things, the things that are important to you. So you, fairly early on, you need to talk about sex if, if you have sexual tastes that are different from the norm. So, for example, if you're into BDSM, that's something you want to mention fairly quickly because otherwise you could get attached to somebody, they could get attached to you, and you're completely sexually incompatible. Not good stuff. So these are things you need to deal with up front fairly early on. Um, you can, um, don't need to tell people your entire life story in the first two dates. They don't need to know every trauma you've experienced in the first two dates. But the things that are important to you, that are crucial to you, 
to you, your wants, your needs, and your view of the future are the things that you need to be talking about early on, particularly if they aren't sort of bog standard ordinary things. Because the last thing you want to do is end up in a situation where you've invested a lot of time and energy in a relationship that's never going to work. And the two of you could have found that out within the first couple of dates. Now, it takes practice to be able to talk about these things comfortably um, and in a way that doesn't completely freak out the person sitting on the other end of the table. It takes practice in in um, how you introduce topics and and um, how you explain things. And um, it also takes great observational skills and great listening skills so you can deal with whatever they're presenting to you, which is where people often fall down. They're not, they're so nervous about what they're saying, they're not actually watching what the other person's reactions are. And those are things that that it's worth practicing and worth taking a class in. That kind of communication is superb. Okay, um, let's see. I think we may have one more, but I want to see if I can find it. Ah, yes. Um, What does it mean to be consciously single? People who use the term consciously single are people who have um, decided that as far as they're concerned, being alone isn't a bad thing. Um, And so they are waiting until um, they, they meet somebody and engage with somebody who's in good align with, with, with them, who wants and needs the things that they want and need, and who they are sure will be an appropriate choice for a long-term relationship. And they choose to remain single until then. They are comfortable um, with being single. They're very clear about what they want and need from casual relationships, from serious relationships. And they pursue these with with the understanding that um, they will not accept... um, just anything that they, uh, in order not to be alone, because they're quite happy to be alone. People tend to be independent um, um, and have uh, good emotional management skills, or we hope they do. If you're going to be consciously single, you need good emotional management skills. In fact, everybody needs good emotional management skills. Um, but that is a hallmark um, of this and really being really clear about what it is that you want and knowing when you want to be interdependent as opposed to codependent. So codependent is when you're relying on each other in an, in an unhealthy manner um, and you tend to bolster each other's um, negative habits. Interdependent means that you can rely on somebody when it's appropriate to do so, but you can also rely on yourself. Um, and so Great relationships are interdependent ones because if you can never lean on your partner, if you can never rely on your partner, then that is quite sad. So great relationships are ones in which you can take care of yourself, but you can also rely on your partner and you are interdependent. Okay. So uh, next week, uh, the topic is, the letter is B and the topic is bottoming and um, I have an amazing guest. So look forward to that. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're talking all about bottoming um, and uh, femme bottoms and um, health.
health in bottoming and and it's exciting it's going to be a lot of fun if you would like me to cover a particular topic or interview a particular person, please email me with your suggestions at drlauribethbisbee.com. I'll be happy to take those up. Um, please, please, please leave a review. I've been saying this and saying this. Uh, reviews are things that are really helpful when other people are looking for podcasts. I know it can be somewhat difficult to leave a review for a podcast about sex, but I would really appreciate it. You're welcome to leave it honestly. Um, you're welcome to leave it anonymously. Um, and please um, leave it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. If you don't want to post it up yourself, you can send it to me. That would be helpful too. If you put up a review, you should know that every month I have a drawing for 30 minutes of time with me. You can't get a free 30-minute session with me anymore at the moment because things have been far, far too busy. So this is the only way people are getting free time with me. Um, you can talk about anything you want or ask about anything you want in that 30 minutes. Your name won't go into the raffle, though, unless you tell me you've left the review. So what you need to do is email me at lauribeth at drlauribethbisbee.com so that I can reach you once I've seen your review. Um, tell me where you've left the review, send me a copy of the review, and I will put your name into the draw and contact you via email with a link so you can book your free 30 minutes. This is also um, will work for my books, for any of my books, um, if you leave a review on Amazon or Goodreads, again, email me and let me know you have. Your name will go into the draw if you would like, and you can win a free 30 minutes with me. Um, um, alternately, you can win a free sex toy. I won't tell you what it is. I'm just going to pick. I've got a supply around, so I'll pick something out of the supply and um, send that to you um, if you win that raffle as well. Have a fantastic week. Enjoy yourselves, but do keep safe. And I will see you all next week when the letter will be B. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the A to Z of sex or the A to Z of sex if you're in North America. If you enjoyed the show, please do leave a review wherever it was you listened to it, but especially head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Reviews really help the show get out there. If you want to support my work, you can support it through my Patreon page. That's Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee on Patreon.com. You can also head over to DrLaurieBethBisbee.com and subscribe to my free mailing list, which will keep you updated as to the activities I am getting up to and any special appearances. For people who subscribe to the Patreon, there are special broadcasts, merch, um, and the opportunity to get discounted tickets to a lot of the events that I do. Knowledge gives you power. The more you know, the better your relationships, the better your satisfaction and joy. If you've got suggestions for the show, comments or questions, do email at lauribeth at drlauribethbisbee.com. And I will try and incorporate them. Have a wonderful week filled with loads of joy. <laughs>